0: Thanks for tuning in. Victoria is the capital city of BC and home to iconic buildings such as the Legislature, Government House, Cray Derrick Castle, and the Empress Hotel. A leisurely stroll through its streets and heritage buildings will take you to the inner harbor Where on a good day. You might see a few whales swimming by. Just outside of Victoria is the District of Saanich. In the mid-1980s, his population was around 80,000. Jay Cook attended Oak Bay High School, a good-looking young man with dark hair down to his shoulders. For his graduation photo, he wore a white shirt, buttoned up with a black tie under his graduation gown. Jay liked people and was easygoing. He liked to joke around with friends, yet they knew he was someone they could count on. Tanya Van Kylenborg also attended Oak Bay High. Her strawberry blonde hair was cut short and emphasized her quick and easy smile. Under her yearbook photo was a caption that said she would like to be remembered for her sense of sarcasm and many different laughs. After grad, she would like to move away from Victoria become a photographer and she ended it with saying catching the movies ciao babe jay and tanya began dating in the summer of 1987. the two gentle personalities melded and the high school sweethearts quickly fell in love meanwhile 20 miles from seattle lies a small city of woodenville Earl Talbot II grew up with his parents and two younger sisters. Earl had a mean streak, fueled by anger. CBC News reported that he kicked his younger sister, Milena, so hard while wearing boots that she called the police. Another night, he got angry at his sister, Inga, broke down her bedroom door, and broke her tailbone. Another time, he dropped the family cat down the well. Luckily, his father was able to rescue it. When he turned 16, he told his disabled father that when he got his license to drive, he was going to run him over. Now 24, Earl was working as a truck driver, but had recently been fired. Jay's father asked him and Tanya to pick up some furnace parts for his business in Seattle, Washington. Although it's only 100 miles by air, driving takes almost five hours and includes two ferries and crossing the border. The couple were looking forward to spending time together, just the two of them. And it would give Tanya a chance to use her Minolta camera and take some great photographs. Just the two of them. It was Wednesday, November 18th, 1987. Jay's father gave him $570 for the trip. Jay left driving his family's bronze Ford van. A family tradition was to wave goodbye until you drove out of sight. So as his sister Laura stood at the window waving, Jay honked the horn and hung his arm out of the driver's window until he was out of sight. The couple would only be gone overnight. They caught the Coho Ferry from Victoria for the 90-minute ride to Port Angeles. Once off the ferry, Jay drove the van east on Route 101, heading for Bremerton. An hour and 45 minutes later, Jay and Tanya pulled into the small town of Allen. The Times colonists reported that they stopped to buy gas and went inside to purchase some items. At 10.16 p.m., they purchased a ticket for the ferry from Bremerton to Seattle, where they planned to park outside the kingdom and camp for the night. It's not known exactly when or where Earl Talbot spotted the young couple, but their paths were about to cross. Earl managed to overpower Jay and Tanya and kidnap them. He came prepared with a murder kit. Earl pulled on rubber gloves so he wouldn't leave fingerprints. Then used plastic zip ties to restrain them. Near Monroe, just outside of Seattle, Earl stopped at a bridge above the Snoqualmie River, just seven miles from his home. There, he dragged Jay into the brush, forcefully stuffed a pack of cigarettes down his throat to keep him quiet. Then he grabbed a rock and beat him. But Jay wasn't dying fast enough. Como News reported that twine was wrapped around Jay's neck. Then not one, but two dog collars were used to strangle him. Earl wrapped Jay's body in a light blue blanket and left him under the bridge. Jay died at 20. Earl then drove 75 miles towards Bellingham. Just outside of Skagit County, he pulled over in a rural area where the houses were spread out every half mile. Tanya's pants were removed. And tossed aside in the van, she was sexually assaulted. Afterwards, at the roadside, Earl stood behind Tanya and placed the butt of the gun against the back of her head, and pulled the trigger. As the bullet raced out of the barrel, the powder burned her body. The bullet lodged in her skull her body rolled down the hill and stopped at the bottom of a ditch. Tanya was dead at 18. When Tanya didn't call home as planned, her parents became worried. Tanya's father, Willem, was a lawyer and tried to reassure her mother. But deep down, he was very concerned. He reported Tanya missing to authorities and called her brother John, who was attending university in Vancouver. Meanwhile, Jay's family tried to stay positive. His father thought maybe the young couple that were so in love eloped. Desperate for answers, Tanya's father and brother went to Seattle and joined the search. Hospitals were checked, while Willem worked closely with local police and arranged an air search. They drove through the streets of Seattle, stopping at stores and gas stations, showing people their photograph. On the morning of November 24th, it had been six days since the high school sweethearts had disappeared, when a person collecting bottles discovered Tanya's body. Later that night, John identified his sister. The family wanted answers. How did this happen? And why? And where was Jay? The next day, Tanya's wallet, bullets, zip ties, a surgical glove, and the keys to the van were found behind a tavern in downtown Bellingham, discarded under a porch. The van was found next door at the Greyhound bus station, and inside the van were Tanya's pants. Jay's family still waited for answers. They had provided police with dental records and a description of his clothing. They still held out hope. But their hopes would soon be crushed. Two pheasant hunters discovered Jay's body. On Saturday, Tanya was laid to rest. That evening, Jay's family was notified that he had positively been identified. A bullet casing found near Tanya's body matched the bullets found near the tavern. Near both bodies, police recovered zip ties, and inside the van... They found more zip ties and a palm print. The print was ran through their database but no match was found. But bodily fluids had been recovered from Tanya's pants. They were compared against Jay and determined not to be a match. The DNA was preserved with the hopes that one day it would be matched to their killer. A week after their murders, Jay and Tanya's families received a letter. It was rambling, and the person bragged that he'd never be caught, and that he'd kill again, if he could. Two months after their murders, Crime Stoppers in both Washington State and Victoria released commercials seeking information. It was the first time Crime Stoppers in the two countries had joined forces. Investigators thought They were looking for an ex-convict or perhaps a serial killer. A reward was quickly offered for information leading to the arrest of Jay and Tanya's killer. Police questioned two men in Washington State that were in custody on another matter, but determined they weren't suspects. Meanwhile, Jay and Tanya's families continued to receive numerous letters From their self confessed killer. Two years later, a lens belonging to Tanya's camera turned up in a pawn shop in Portland, Oregon. Investigators were ecstatic, but soon the promising lead turned cold. The lens had been pawned twice, and the records were over a year old and had been destroyed. Then three years went by and Robert Yates, an Army veteran, confessed to 10 killings in Washington. And investigators wondered if he was connected to Jay and Tanya's murders. But that would lead to another dead end. In 2010, police were able to finally track down the author of those taunting letters. The man now in his 70s was a transient that drifted between B.C. and Washington State and admitted that he'd wrote them out of anger. DNA would prove that he wasn't their killer. For 30 years, Earl went about living his life. His dark secret pushed into the deep recesses of his mind. He never married, never had children. He continued to live in Washington and drove a semi-truck. For the last 20 years, he was estranged from his family. They reached out, but he never responded. His sister sent him invitations to graduations and weddings. He sent their invitations back, returned to sender. Investigators never gave up on Jay and Tanya's case. In 2018, they reached out to Pear Bonana Labs in Virginia. We've discussed them before in our episode of Anti-Dodge in Season 1. Using the DNA from Tonya's clothing, they created an image of what the killer may look like at 25, 45, and 65 years old. Family members offered a $50,000 reward with a catch. It would expire at the end of the year. C.C. Moore, who is a genetic genealogist at Parabon, felt drawn to Tanya and Jay's case. CBC News described how she was the same age as Tanya and her parents were from the Pacific Northwest. She recalled how she was just graduating high school and about to go to college when Tanya's life ended so tragically. And that it stuck with her. Cece was used to mapping family trees, but this was a first criminal case. DNA collected from Tanya's clothing was uploaded to GEDmatch. Within a day, Cece traced it to one possible person, Earl Talbot II. The tree contained the names of two people who shared enough DNA to be his second cousins. One of those was Chelsea Rustad. Investigators quickly paid Chelsea a visit to see what she knew about her cousin Earl. She had never met Earl or his parents, but had recently communicated with his sisters. Investigators ran Earl's name. It had never come up in their investigation. So they began tailing his work truck. A week into their surveillance, Earl stopped at a red light and opened the driver's door. When the light changed to green, he slammed it shut. But not before a paper coffee cup fell out. It hit the ground and the wind blew it down the street. Detectives jumped out and ran to collect it. DNA testing came back. It was a match. It had taken 30 years, but they had finally found Jay and Tanya's killer. In 2019, Earl Talbot's murder case would be the first to go to trial using a DNA match from a public genealogy site. Chelsea attended the trial to support Jay and Tanya's families. No one else from Earl's family attended the trial. Earl's lawyer tried to say that he had sex with Tanya, but he didn't murder her or Jay. But Earl's DNA was also identified on the zip ties, recovered at the crime scenes. After three days of deliberation, the jury found Earl, who was now 55, guilty on both counts of aggravated murder. At Earl's sentencing, he stood before the judge and said, I stand before you, a man convicted of a crime that I did not commit. Jay's mother told the judge, Some of us wanted a shirt or a sweater. You wear them, you put them to your nose, and you smell him. I still have that old sweater in my dresser drawer. The judge handed Earl two mandatory life sentences without parole. Earl appealed his convictions, and they were overturned. Prosecutors then took it to the Supreme Court who reinstated the murder convictions. A year after their tragic deaths, the young couple were remembered in their high school yearbook, and I quote, Their love of life shone radiantly, in her smile in his eyes. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20, with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Clarence Ray Allen. He was a family man for nearly 30 years, but once divorced and single, he became the man he truly wanted to be. A criminal. Ray went on a spree of armed robberies. With no conscience and no regard for others, he took four lives. If you are dying to hear more, Past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at Murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or Murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Verbal Planet for use of their music sound effects and Fasting studios and quick sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.